28, beginning in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you have a Bible, turn it over or turn it on to Luke chapter 5. That will be our primary text today, Luke chapter 5. A few years ago, I visited the smallest country in the world. Do you know what it is? It's the Vatican in Rome. Officially, Vatican City is its own country. 110 acres, population of 1,000. And so this picture is one I took of what most consider the crown jewel of the Vatican, and that is St. Peter's Basilica. You'll notice the statue there in front. It is of the Apostle Peter, and I don't know if you can tell by the photograph, but if you look at his hand, he's holding something. He's holding a key. There's a scripture. Jesus says to Peter, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. And when you go inside this massive cathedral, your attention is drawn to the front as this towering shrine or altar grabs your attention. And below the altar, at the front of this cathedral, is believed to be the actual burial site of the Apostle Peter. The cathedral bears his name, and the Catholic Church claims Peter as a saint and its first pope. Now, that's high praise for a man who was once referred to as Satan by Jesus and someone who actually publicly denied association with Jesus on at least three occasions. Now, I guess Peter could be considered a saint in the broadest sense of the term, right? In fact, you're a saint if you are a Christian. Throughout the New Testament, that word is used to describe Christians. The King James Version actually translates it as saint or saints. NIV, I think, says holy ones or holy people. And so in many ways, Peter is a saint. And of course, as one of the 12 apostles, he played a very pivotal role in the ministry of Jesus. And the establishment of the church at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and the advancement of the church throughout the known world of the day. But make no mistake about it. Peter was a man, not a saint in the sense of being above reproach, not a pope in the sense of having special authority. In fact, when you actually look at what the scriptures say about Peter, what we see is a very flawed follower of Jesus. And that is good news. That is good news for us. When you peel off the flannel board version of Peter, When you take off his cape, what you're left with is a guy, just a person, someone with whom we can relate, someone who had spiritual highs and spiritual lows, someone who is often outspoken and impulsive, someone who Jesus corrected, even rebuked at times, someone who probably we can relate to. 
because we share this common bond called humanity, but also someone whose story reminds us of something we need to know, and that is that when the power of God is at work in us, when the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, that God can bring about amazing things, incredible transformation in our lives. So we're starting a new sermon series today on the life of Peter, specifically the trust and the transformation of Peter. We're calling it Undeniable, which is obviously a play on words for what Peter is most known for, and that is his threefold denial of Jesus. But Peter's story doesn't end in failure. He isn't defined by his denial. God has so much more in mind for Peter. And let me just remind you, as we kick off this series, we have Discovery Bible Study bookmarks out in the lobby. Go by and pick one of those up. And maybe this is a good opportunity to invite two or three people to sit down and open the Bible up, or maybe at home with your family and family devotional time, or even in your own personal study and journaling. But use this format and use this tool to get you and possibly, hopefully, others into God's Word together. It's also available online. Scottish theologian Thomas Boston said this. He said, Our life here is only a short preface for a long eternity. That's interesting, isn't it? And probably something inside of us believes that. But we don't always live that way. So often we view life differently. We don't view life as a a mist that is here today and gone tomorrow, as Scripture tells us. We don't see life as a portal to eternity. We see it often as the pinnacle of our very existence. And when we have that attitude toward life, then it impacts how we live life. If this life is it, If it's all there is, if it's the best, then we want everything we can get out of life. And so we will live for happiness, not necessarily holiness. We will take and take and take everything we can without necessarily giving a whole lot. You see, the truth is, my perspective shapes my purpose. My perspective about life, how I view life, certainly informs how I live my life. My values, my goals, my dreams, my ambitions. That's a lesson that Peter learned in his first encounter with Jesus. Peter's story in Scripture begins in a fishing boat, much like this one. In 1986, this actual boat was found on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. Because of a drought, the waters had receded, and part of the boat was exposed, and some guys dug it up, and more people got involved, and they were able to use carbon dating and some other things, and they actually dated this boat from the first century. Who knows? Maybe this is the very boat on which Peter met Jesus and had this wonderful interaction. Peter and his crew had just finished being out all night fishing, a long night of fishing, the kind of fishing I can relate to, where there's a lot of trying, but not a lot of catching. You know what I'm talking about? They didn't catch any fish. And so they're probably tired, 
They're probably a little bit frustrated. The next morning, they're, they're cleaning up their nets after this unfruitful night out on the open water, and Jesus arrives, and he gets into Peter's boat. The crowd is swelling and pushing in on Jesus, and so he asks Peter to launch his boat out a little bit from the shore. The Sea of Galilee has several inlets, and you can almost picture in your mind the boat being pushed out inside one of these inlets, and people gathered around on the land, sort of a natural amphitheater for Jesus to preach to the crowd. And that's what he does. Jesus preaches to the crowd, and after the sermon is done, I'm sure there's a closing prayer and probably some announcements, and then Jesus says, let's go fishing. He wants to go fishing. Specifically, he says, let's take the boat out into deep water. Let's let down the nets for a catch. He doesn't say, let's just go see if anything's biting. He doesn't say, let's go see if maybe we can catch something. He says, let's let down the nets for a catch. He is calling a shot. He's saying, we will have success. Now, how do you respond if you're Peter? You've just been out all night. You're exhausted. You didn't catch anything. And now you sat through a sermon. You are really tired. And of the two, which one is the professional fisherman? It's not Jesus. It's Peter. Jesus is the son of a carpenter, a traveling teacher. If that would have been me, I would have been really tempted to say, Jesus, not now. I mean, this would be like me trying to tell Jerry Bryant how to fish. Right? It doesn't make sense. And yet I want you to notice Peter's response, verse 5. Simon Peter answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Boy, that is an important phrase, because you say so. Underline that in your Bible. Highlight it in your Bible. There are some things Christians believe. There are some things we do simply because Jesus says so. We want things always to make sense. We want to know how things work together and fit together. We want to see behind the curtain. We want to know what God is up to. We want rational reasoning for what we're supposed to believe and do. And sometimes, faith just believes. Faith just does because Jesus says so. I love Peter's response. Basically, his response is, everything inside me is saying, no, Jesus, but because you say so, because this is what you want me to do, that's what we'll do. And notice what happens when Peter and the other fishermen let the nets down. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Peter hauls in the mother load of fish. It's his big payday. Imagine if you work your job or if you go to school or whatever it is you do. Imagine the best possible scenario for your day. The best version of your job. The best version of a day at class or at school or doing a certain, uh, getting a certain grade on a test. That's what happens here. I mean, this is Peter's big payday. But somewhere amid the chaos of the great catch, after yelling across the water to his buddies to come over and help out, 
As this endless heap of fish starts to weigh down the boat, something dawns on Peter. And in this sacred, holy moment, Peter pauses. He isn't worried about piles of fish or ripping nets or sinking boats. He doesn't necessarily care in this moment about paychecks or possessions. This is a sacred moment. He realizes that he is in the presence of someone distinct, different, holy. Peter has an Isaiah moment. Isaiah found himself in the throne room of God amid the glory of God. And Peter does the only thing he can do. He does the same thing Isaiah did. He recognizes this huge gap in his own humanness and the holiness of the one he is encountering. And it compels him to confession. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the great catch of fish they had taken. Peter says, I recognize who I am in light of, of you, Jesus. There is a huge gap between us. I am unworthy to be in the same space as you. I am a sinful man. And he's afraid. And Jesus does what he always does when we're afraid. He enters into our fear and anxiety with calm assurance. And Jesus says in verse 10, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Wait a second. The story just took a twist, didn't it? What is Jesus doing here? Jesus turns this great miracle into a great mission. This wasn't an object lesson in humility for Peter. This wasn't Jesus putting Peter in his place. It wasn't a magic trick. It certainly wasn't a weekend fishing trip. This was a commissioning, a calling. Jesus needed Peter to know that he was sent from God and that anything he did in this world was done by the power of God for the purpose of God. You see, this miracle was a sign to lend credibility to Jesus, to say to Peter and the others, this isn't just an ordinary person. Jesus is from God, and there is great power working in him. Now, is Peter qualified for the mission Jesus is calling him to? He's a fisherman. He's not a missionary. And by his own admission, he's a sinner. He's a sinful person. But that's what's so great about Peter's story. Because neither his inability nor his sinfulness disqualifies him for the work of God. Those things don't negate Jesus' calling on his life. In fact, that may make him more qualified to lean on Jesus, to look to Jesus and his power. As we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul reminds us the kind of people that God uses in this world. He uses those who are foolish and weak, those who are lowly and despised. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. Those are the kinds of people 
that God often chooses to use to accomplish his work in this world. And so Jesus commissions Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch people. You will fish for people. How would you respond if you're Peter? Remember, we said that our perspective often shapes our purpose. And so if my perspective is, you know, I'm a fisherman. That's what I do. That's my trade. That's my career. It's important to me. If that is my perspective, then how does that impact the response to Jesus? For many people, especially many men, part of their identity is wrapped up in what they do for work, for career. And so I can just imagine Peter is thinking, wait a second, Jesus. I'm not a missionary. I'm not a preacher. I fish. Not for people, for fish. That's what I fish for. Besides, I don't even know what it means to catch people or to fish for people. That sounds odd. It sounds weird. Plus, if that would have been me, I'm thinking, you know what? Today was a good day. Maybe, Jesus, you could come back another time because the timing right now, it's not the best for me. I have stuff to do. I got fish to clean. I got mouths to feed. I got money to make. I got nets to fix again. I'm I'm busy, Jesus. Maybe you could come back another time. In fact, this fishing expedition was so successful, Jesus, I'm, I'm having a brainstorm here. I'm thinking, what if we go into business together? Jesus, you and I, I'll do the the manual labor and you just sort of snap your fingers and let those fish jump in the boat. Together, we could do great things. For your glory, of course. I mean, I'll I'll tell people when I think of it that you're behind this. I mean, I'll, I'll try to remember to pray and thank you for what you do in my life. But if you could just bless what I'm doing, wouldn't that be great, Jesus? If you just bless what I'm doing, just like today. If every day could be like today. Sometimes we're so busy asking him to bless what we're doing that we can't hear him calling us to join him in what he's doing. But notice what Peter does, verse 11. So they pulled their boats up to the shore. They left everything and followed him. Wow. Don't miss the significance of that statement. They left everything to follow Jesus. He left his job. He left his security. He left his home. He left his family. In many ways, he left his identity, his way of life. That's what happens when Jesus calls us. The call of Christ on our lives requires something from us. There is a great chance that when Jesus calls you to follow him, to be about his business, to join him and what he's doing, that it will mean giving something up. Maybe it's your comfort zone. Maybe it's your fear of other people's perception of you. What will they say? What will they think of me? Maybe it's your money, your time, your energy, your personal ambitions and dreams and goals. In fact, Christ's call on our lives actually demands everything from us. Because everything we have becomes a means to a greater end. Glorifying God. Making him known in our world. 
But the world says, now wait a second, that sounds so extreme, that sounds so radical, you don't, you don't have to do that. In fact, you should just be true to yourself. Chase your dreams, pursue happiness and success. And that mindset is all grounded in one question. And the question is this, what do I want from life? What do I want from life? That is a very different question than what does Jesus want from me? Two different questions that yield two different paths that produce two different purposes. Let me, hear, let me tell you, your best life, your best life is lived for God's purpose. Whatever it is you do every day, whether it's work or school or taking care of the kids or, or whatever it is, God's purpose is in that. Are you finding his purpose? Are you fishing for people to use the language of our text today? There are many ways we can do that. There are many ways we can get involved in what God is doing in our world. Certainly today as we think about our missionaries and our mission trips on this Commission Sunday, we are reminded that that is a wonderful way to join God in what he is doing, to make Christ known in our world. What a blessing it is to partner with 17 different missionaries all over this world. To send out mission trips this year involving over 300 people like the ones who stood up here earlier and were prayed over by our shepherds. What a blessing that is to be a part of that. And God uses all of those efforts for a multiplying effect. Every VBS class, every mission trip, every day in the life of a missionary, every sermon, every Bible study, every care package, every act of service, every act of love is like a net being lowered into the world. And God using that to surround people in the love and the forgiveness and the salvation of Jesus. So as we consider our role in God's plan, when we listen to Jesus calling us to follow him because he has a higher purpose for our lives, we are reminded of what God is doing through this congregation throughout the world. And so we want to show the video that we showed last Sunday. We want to show it again, introducing some new partners on the mission field, reminding us some of the great things God is doing. After this video, we will join together in prayer and have our special offering. And so if the men would, would go to their post, we'll watch the video, and then we'll have our offering. The splendor of the King Let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. Go and make disciples of all nations. To the Edmund Church of Christ, this statement is more than a slogan. It's more than simply a theme or a catchphrase. Making disciples in this world is our God-given mission. As ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we are called by God to make genuine connections with other people and to share the love and message of Jesus with them. 
we are called to make disciples. God empowers us to do this in many ways through many people. In addition to our daily efforts as ambassadors of Christ and our local outreach efforts in our community, we support several missionaries and mission projects, and we send out multiple mission trips involving hundreds of people throughout the year. In 2019, God is extending our reach into the world through expanded mission efforts. We are pleased to announce some new and exciting opportunities in various parts of the world. The heart of the Edmund Church is closely connected to each of these special people and places. First, Ismael Resendez is joining Baldo Camacho in the rural mountain villages of Mexico as our full-time missionary. For over 30 years, we have invested in the birth and growth of the church in Aquiles and the surrounding state of Tamaulipas. Many from this congregation, including three decades of college students, have traveled to those little villages to love and serve the people there. Now, through the work of Ismael and Baldo, that work continues. In his new role, Ismail will plant churches, train and mentor leaders, host special events at the campground, and preach and teach throughout the region. Our prayer is that God will continue to change lives and grow the church in this area of Mexico. A second expanding work involves our long-standing relationship with Zambia. After decades of serving the Namuyanga mission in Zambia, our missionary, Dr. Ruben Kapali, retired last year. But God continues to make inroads into people's lives and develop Christian leaders in Zambia, and we are still blessed to be a part of it. We are now supporting three Christian leaders and missionaries associated with the Namuyanga mission, including Wilson Siazilo, Thomas Simubali, and Rodwell Sianzolo. God has gifted each of these men and is using them in unique ways to make disciples in Zambia. We join our brothers and sisters there to continually welcome many new believers into God's family. A third way God is expanding our discipleship efforts in the world is through our presence in Guatemala. For five years, our college group at Edmond has traveled to Guatemala for a summer mission trip. Now, we will be tied even more closely to the Lord's work there as we take on the support of missionary Marco Tulio. He is active in personal evangelism, training leaders, helping plant churches, and working to share the gospel in and around the Union Zacapa. The Lord continues to open doors in Guatemala, and we are blessed to be a part of what God is doing there. Finally, John and Jill Shattig and their family endeared themselves to us last year during their transition from mission work in Utah. In January, they packed up and moved to Ecuador to work with the Kumani Christian Center in the rainforest on the Pacific coast. This somewhat secluded area has no roads to speak of, only the Cayapas River that runs as a main artery through the region. The Shattigs will join efforts with local missionaries to ensure the love and message of Jesus is spread up and down that river. They will assist in hosting medical, construction, service, and discipleship teams so that doors will be opened to share the gospel. As God continues to work through the Shattigs and other missionaries, the river will be used not only as a means of transportation, but more importantly, a place of transformation. As people continue to go into the river to put on Christ in baptism, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Some may call it the Great Commission because it seems so big, so overwhelming. Others because it requires great involvement and great resources from the church. Still others because there are great expectations associated with it. To us, the commission is great because the one behind it is great. 
And we want others all over the world to know of His greatness and His grace. Join us on Commission Sunday by giving sacrificially. I hope that encourages you to to realize that we're part of something so much bigger than ourselves, that God is using our efforts to do great things all over this world. You should be encouraged by that. And I am thankful to be a part of a church family that doesn't really get caught up in drama. We are too busy doing the Lord's work. We are purpose-driven, and our purpose is to make disciples. And so we're going to have a prayer, and we're going to offer to God what he has already given to us. We're going to give cheerfully, and we're going to give sacrificially. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the way you've blessed us. Thank you so much for what you've done for us and what you've given to us. Father, we want to share that love, that message, those blessings with the world around us. So empower us with your spirit as we give today. Help us to give cheerfully, to give sacrificially. And our prayer is that you would use everything that is given to make Christ known in our world, to make disciples, Father. We give this gift to you in your name and in the name of your son, Jesus, amen. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out, ring it out. It will give them courage too. It will help them to be true. Ring it out, ring it out. Ring out the world or land and sea. Still far from Jesus, many live in sin and die. Ring out the news that makes men free. To all the lost of every nation, ring it out. Tell the world of saving grace, make it known in every place, ring it out, ring it out. Help the needy ones to know, and from whom all blessings flow, ring it out. Ring it out, ring out the word or land and sea. Still far from Jesus, many live in sin and doubt. Ring out the news that of every nation bring it Thank you so much for your offerings. Thank you for your giving hearts. You realize that over the last five years when we started Commission Sundays, this congregation has given over two million dollars to go toward mission work. May God receive the glory for that. And I hope that number continues to climb every year so that we can be used by God to do great things in this world. 
That's what happened in Peter's life, as we will see throughout this series. He continued to mature, and yes, he had his ups and downs, but God was working in him and through him, and there was this time in his life when he was fishing for people. And later in his life, he wrote a couple of letters. We call them First and Second Peter. In one of those letters, he reminds us of his true purpose in life. And in doing so, I think he reminds us of our true purpose in life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter says, I know what that's like because he called me out of darkness into his wonderful light. And now my purpose is to declare his praises. And so if life here really is a short preface for a long eternity, then certainly in eternity we will be declaring the praises of God. Why not start now? Why not live our lives that way? Not just when we gather on Sundays and sing his praises, but why not live out every day a life that declares the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. There's a man named Richard Halverson. He was a minister. He was a chaplain of the U.S. Senate for a time. And after every one of his messages, he would offer this benediction for the people as he sent them on their way. I think the words are very fitting for us today. Not only as we send this group to McAllen in about a week, but as each and every one of us goes out into the world being sent by God. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being right where you are. Christ who indwells you by the power of his spirit, wants to do something in and through you. Believe this and go in his grace, his love, his power. That is our prayer as we go into the world. And as we wrap up this morning, maybe you consider your life much like Peter's, lots of ups and downs, but you realize that you've been living in darkness. Jesus is calling you out of that darkness into his wonderful light. And maybe today is the day that you say, I'm ready. I believe I'm ready to live my life that way. I'm ready to put Christ on in baptism, be clothed with Christ, live to bring him honor and glory. Man, we will celebrate with you today. We'd love to baptize you today. Or maybe we can encourage you, support you, lift you up in prayer. We would certainly be happy to do that as well. We're going to stand and sing a song. We'll have a couple of shepherds and their wives in the parlor right behind me. You can exit out any of these doors, make your way there, and they'd be happy to receive you. Or you can come down to the front. And we would certainly be glad to lift you up in prayer, to help you with any need you have. And again, if you're ready to be baptized into Christ, today is your day. Let's stand and sing.